and welcome to DKI Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. This is episode number 93. I'm your host, Joel, and I have with me today, once again, returning as a guest, Jace. Going. Hello, hello. Welcome back in. Uh, glad that you were able to join us. Mario is still on mini hiatus, taking care of a lot of things. And one of the things he's actually taking care of is helping plug the ever living heck out of the fact that we are in the IGN Rogue Game Jam. And today's actually the last day of voting. So if any of you have not already voted for Kokoro No Pro, our upcoming wrestling visual novel, uh, you can vote on that at roguejam.com slash game dash time. Uh, once again, that is not going to be terribly relevant for anyone who is listening to this recording after the fact, but we are hoping to do well in this fan vote portion. We're honestly not expecting anything. It's more of, you know, this is a half-court shot for us, and it'd be really freaking cool if we can make it. We're not expecting to make it, but we're doing everything we can to put ourselves in the best possible position to make that half-court shot, because uh, if we do get one of the top placements in this fan voting for the uh, Rogue Jam, that uh, Kokoro No Pro will end up having a lot, a lot more assets to work with, shall we say. So, do... Go on and vote for that if you have not already. I'm sure that uh, Neo Ivan will probably be able to handle getting the link there in the chat for us. But otherwise, this is episode 93, as I mentioned. And I don't know about you, Jason, but I have not watched any anime at all this week, which is a rarity for me because I have been playing Pokemon Legends Arceus basically nonstop in every free moment because I'm, I'm not going to have a Pokemon Legends Arceus stream rant today. But oh my gosh, that game is so good. Like, if you are on the fence about this game, because I know a lot of people were about the graphics and whatnot, don't worry about it. The graphics, there's a visual blemish every so often. But this is one of the just most fun and well-designed Pokemon games of the past decade, if not in the series ever. It's not a normal Pokemon game. But it for this being the first outing for the Pokemon Company in open world and this type of exploration-based capturing and battling, it's a home run. I cannot recommend this game highly enough. I've sunk probably almost 50 hours into it this week, and I've had a Dang. blast. And because of that, I have not watched any anime this week, so I can't really <laughs> talk much about the things that I've been catching up on. I'll probably do some catching up uh, this weekend and next weekend depending on how much I play Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, but yeah, uh, I have not heard much this week in terms of uh, anything absolutely crazy happening. We're past that first third part of the season, and uh, you know, the first three episodes and the last three episodes of every season are always really big one way or the other because it the first three episodes are establishing these shows learning, all right, who are these characters, what shows are worth following, what shows are not worth following, and then it's that middle six, that second and third quarter of it all, where, especially the second quarter, is usually when we hit a lull in things, especially in our weekly updates, because then it's just, all right, we're building on what we know, and we're establishing things, and then the third quarter can be some rising action, there might be notes there, but then the last quarter, those last three episodes, is when it's okay you know, things are really coming to a head here. We're hitting the climaxes. There's a lot of big stuff going on. We might have more commentary, but uh, at least on average, these second set of three episodes, the fourth, fifth, sixth episodes, usually don't have much to comment on anyway, so it sort of worked out nicely for me. But I don't know about you, Jason. Were you uh, able to watch anything this week, or have you been busy with other things as well? I mean, uh, for me, like I, I wasn't able to afford the game. So, I mean, I'm glad to hear it's so good um, because, I mean, Pokemon is very hit or miss for me. I mean, uh, for, for me, I haven't enjoyed a Pokemon game since uh, Black and White. So, and uh, Sword and Shield didn't do anything to really make me feel more uh, confident in, uh, in Game Freak and the Pokemon companies. Um, uh I guess uh style of sorts because it seemed like uh seemed almost like Call of Duty, you know, like Pokemon by numbers, um rushing a game out yeah, to have a game. Yeah, this is out. as breaking the mold as it can get really. That's uh this is still a Pokemon game. Like they've there are no held items here, there are no natures here. Or sorry, there's no abilities here. There's still natures. The st the stat system is the same. 
but they've changed some of the moves. They've changed some of the special conditions. Um, and just the fact that it's this open world capture things you don't need to necessarily get into battle with. Uh, the exploration, like I said, is very rewarding. I'm not going to get into the big rant. I said I wasn't going to get into a big rant. Yeah, no, so no. I'm going to stop there. But uh, but it, I mean, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear it's good. And uh, it's definitely on my radar to get like when I have a little bit more scratch in my pocket. Um, I mean, I... I, I basically, aside from uh, following the uh, weekly tokusatsu shows, um, I, uh, I I recently fell in love with, of course, being the token nerd that I am, uh, Miss Kuroitsu from the yes! Monster Development Department. Yes, yes, like, yes. I, Good. I love that. Um, I love the fact, actually, a no, little bit of toku knowledge here, um, the head of the entire uh, department, I can't remember the character's name, the really like young yeah. girl, uh, who causes all the problems for them? She's voiced by Mao, uh, who previously oh, wait, the, su the supreme leader. Yeah, supreme leader. She's voiced by Mao, uh, who is known to uh, Toku fans from uh, uh, Q Ranger. She played the Pink Ranger in that uh, because oh, it was that's a voiceover so cool. role. I love yeah. that. Like that's the type of thing that I would have never known because I'm not a Tokusatsu fan by trade. And trait. she she always and, uh, started as a voice actress because she got her start actually on camera in Tokusatsu with the excellent series Kaizoku Sentai Gokaiger as the Yellow Ranger. So it's it's really oh, cool that she's I doing a show about they, Toku. Yeah, I just the fact that they put her in this it not quite a cameo role, but it's it's not a central role in terms of the amount of screen time. Uh, thematically, it is obviously a very central role that, you know, she is the supreme leader of this evil organization, but she's not in every episode or every scene, so it's still a minor role. But to have that type of, you know, proper tokusatsu representation, so to speak, and just to have that as an Easter egg, really, for fans... That's been one of the things that uh, Kuritsu from the Monster Development Department has done so well, the fact that they incorporate these real-world tokusatsu superheroes from yeah. the various prefectures in Japan. I love that. I think that's so cool and that they have in the credits of every episode showing, you know, these are the real-life pictures, these are the real-life heroes. You should support them in, you know, uh, tourism in Japan because, by gosh, do some of these small local towns and prefectures need some tourism. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean the, the series has done very, very well. I because uh, it's it's gotten me lately. I've been back in a drawing mood. Um, I on the side, I'm also a producer for a VTuber and eventually a VTuber group. Once we get things going with just the one, we can focus on getting some others in the group. But uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of drawing lately. And I actually because of Kuroitsu, uh, my hometown has a sister city in Japan. We've got a very uh, storied history. goes back uh, over 100 years uh, relationship-wise with Japan. Um, wow. And because of that, I've always been around Japanese culture. And I started to kind of think like, oh, well, Japan's got all these local mascots, local heroes. How could I tie that together with my hometown? So uh, as as a way to kind of like pitch this to the uh, the nonprofit organization, uh, the Whitfield Manjaro uh, Friendship Society, how can I do that? And so uh, I started sketching out an idea for a local hero based off of uh, a couple of the things my town is known for, namely the uh, uh, probably one of the bigger landmarks is called Fort Phoenix. It was the site of the first naval battle of the Revolutionary War. So I started kind of sketching out a cross between a like Minuteman, like tripoint hat type design, like uh, you know, Sentai Kamen Rider looking character with a bit of a Phoenix motif because it's Fort Phoenix to kind of create a local hero for my town. And this was all just from watching Kuroitsu. I'm thinking, like, oh, this would be really cool if my town had one of these. Like <laughs> now it's turning into, oh, I should pitch this to the nonprofit and see if I can get them to pay for me to make this costume. <laughs> That's really cool. Definitely keep us up to date on how that develops because that could be something really cool because these local heroes, that is very much a thing in Japan that it's not uncommon. It's not like this series is having to scramble around trying to find a couple to throw into their show. This is a, a, a frankly, an established trope for 
municipal yeah. governments to create these types of characters. It's just a thing. And honestly, I'm a bit surprised that the U.S. never really got into the idea of a local superhero, especially the fact that, you know, Spider-Man has the line, just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that yeah. just never spiraled into a parallel thing where it's, you know, your friendly neighborhood superhero. I'm, yeah, it feels like something by all rights that U.S. and superhero culture would have loved. But I guess oh, yeah. it, just for whatever reason, maybe because for at least a time, superheroes were seen as a bit of an oddity, whereas tokusatsu was a much more mainstream media thing in Japan that that yeah. might have been the hurdle that superheroes really had to clear at least up until about 20 years ago it's it's kind of fascinating because it goes into the like the history of western comics and the comic authority and what was popular at what time and kind of how superheroes didn't really uh like yeah batman and superman like had origins back in the 40s but superheroes didn't come back into the like I guess you could say comic book mainstream until about like the 1960s coming into the 70s. And then they had the Comics Code Authority with what they could and couldn't put in them. So like it has a very uh, muddy, like we have a muddy relationship with comic book superheroes in America up until recently with the big theatrical releases. So it's it's kind of a fascinating thing because in Japan, media is media. There's not a lot of censorship so as a result, you have things like tokusatsu, you know, the special effects genre, and you have daikaiju, you have, you know, your your giant monsters, you have your Ultraman, stuff like that. Been going on for over 60 years. You have uh, Kamen Rider, 50, Super Sentai, 45. They've been ongoing for so long, and it's just an art form at this point that it's ingrained. And superheroes, because they kind of had that fade in, fade out, and then kind of like obscurity and then not so popular and then another boom, like they've come in waves. I'm surprised that local towns didn't try to do that sort of thing for uh, for for publicity. But then again, I think most towns also just rely on their local high school sports team and sports mascot to kind of take the place of that, which... That's a very interesting observation. I hadn't considered the sports angle of becoming the local mascot, but that makes sense. It's kind of impersonal, really, because everybody shares mascots. I mean, my hometown had the the Blue Devils. Yeah, like the Blue... Oh, yeah. Well, and especially over where you are in the Northeast, because the Blue Devils are so much associated with Duke University. Boo Duke as someone who went to the University of Maryland. Um, (laughs) Well, CCSU uh, in uh, Central Connecticut. just everywhere. It's just cartoon. It has been used on every freaking uniform and school and... Whoever owns the rights to it is not getting paid for those rights. Goodness knows. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's definitely it's definitely an interesting cultural thing here in America to see where we kind of diverged in the pop culture with coming up with these things. Because imagine just how competitive we could get in this country if every state is you know there's state flowers, state birds, state flags. I think state there were anthems, state superheroes. No this clue. feels like the next frontier, honestly. I mean, like, I, I some, doodled out an idea for... Some marketing department uh, needs to get in on this. I even doodled out an idea for a Sentai-style team based off of the New England sports teams because we're just well, I, I feel so like the infamous. sensibility would still have to be, like, proper American. Well, I say, quote-unquote, proper American, but I don't think that the Sentai aesthetic would... Yeah, for me, it was, that, it was that kind it of a joke. It would have to be, you know, the, the caped superhero yeah. aesthetic but that you could have that type of thing of, you know, the, uh, I, I don't know, the the New York, I'm trying to think of a good uh, alliteration thing because every good superhero team has alliteration, but, you know, it's yeah. a Sentai team that you'd have a, you know, Avengers-style, Teen Titans-style yeah. superhero I mean, the team, Sentai thing came just to an mind because New England's so infamous in sports in general. So Patriots, Red Sox, uh, Bruins uh celtics and then the embarrassments of massachusetts slash new england because they haven't won anything yet uh boston uprising overwatch league team and new england revolution (laughs) well honestly outside of that new england has been one of the most dominant 
regions for sports. That's what made me think like Sentai any, team made up of those mascots, you know, yeah, giant megazord of championships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I digress away from those crazy ass ideas because yes, that, that kind of, from the monster development department is real good. Y'all watch it. Yeah. Um, a lot of educational stuff. So pay attention to those credits. It's really cool. Those local heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other watching anime I've been else? watching oh. is uh, My Dress Up Darling, uh, which I stumbled mm. into from everything that uh, people were saying. There's been a lot of fan art of it, a lot of, you know, cheesecake. Yes, like, there has, because uh, we have the the early front runner from Girl of the Year, or, you know, Best Girl of the Year, uh, coming in strong. So, and uh, yeah, it, modern, it's... Uh, what is it? Marin Kitagawa, I think is the name mm-hmm. of the character. Yep. Yeah, that uh, I had my little rant about it last week and that it is very much, yes, heavy fan service. But at the same time, it's it's more played off almost as awkwardness than leeriness. Yeah. But it, it's sort of a weird combination. But uh, like I said, I have not seen this week's episode. But from what I hear, it well, the for lack of spoilers the setup at the end of episode three is that she tells the main character oh by the way the event that i want to wear this outfit at is in two weeks ah uh, yeah yeah the deadline know, if any of you have cosplayed before you know that making it an outfit in two weeks is a very big ask oh yeah oh yeah so uh, that's it's it's relatable so i mean i'm i'm definitely i I actually probably should watch that once we're done with, the, with this because I've been meaning to uh, I've been meaning to watch the latest episode. The, the The thing is, of course, like Book of Boba Fett is uh, is on its second to last episode this week, and it was amazing. And then like Peacemaker has been really good. So it's just there's a lot competing for my attention on top of the art, the voiceover auditions, all this mm-hmm. stuff that I do. So, yeah, um, busy times for sure. But Dress Up Darling kind of, you know, strikes close to home because cosplay. So, which I guess... uh, That sort of spirals us into our topic for the day, which uh, when I came to you saying, hey, anything you want to talk about, you actually suggested a really good one that we haven't discussed at length, and that's hobby anime. That We've discussed sports anime, and we've discussed slice of life, but I consider hobby anime to be a very different type of series. And we actually had a bit of a discussion... Uh, when we were DMing each other earlier this morning of what makes a show a hobby show versus one of these other genres. Uh, one of the shows that you initially pitched as this was Chihaya Furu, which is uh, ultimately what I classify as a sports anime. Now, for those yeah. of you who aren't familiar with Chihaya Furu, um, it is... Remind me of the game name again. I'm blanking uh... Oh, uh, it was it was uh, shoot because I I I, uh, I think I typed it in too in that little chat. Um, uh, God. One second, I'm I'm just looking it up now so I can. Uh, uh, where it, it, it involved like poems. Um, yeah, it, it's this poem. Uh, Karuta. 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 Okay, Karuta. Yeah. Thank you. I was it was yeah. on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, so it's, it's a Karuta. specific kind, but yeah, yeah, and it is. And karuta can be a hobby, but the way it is presented in Chihaya Furu is as a sport because they are entering in hobby gone hardcore. <laughs> yeah, that it, it's it's a niche thing, but at the end of the day, it is something that they are competing in, and therefore I classify it as a sports anime. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the coin, we have different music animes, which can vary from uh, something that would be considered a hobby anime to a sports anime that. Sound Euphonium I classify as a sports anime because they very explicitly state in the first episodes that their goal is to make nationals and that they want to get national competition. Keyword competition. Even if it's music, and music can be a hobby, music can be a career, in this case, it is under the lens of competition, so that does not work as a hobby anime. On the other hand, K-On! While they do have shows, I would actually say that that is much more akin to a hobby anime. It's more a slice of life with the lens of a hobby superimposed on it because there's so much stuff in K-On that happens that isn't actually relevant to music or the band itself. It's 
it, it provides the setting and the excuse to initially assemble our cast, but I would consider that technically to be closer, at least to a hobby anime, but uh, in general, ones that are much more pure hobby animes along the lines of uh, Dress Up Darling are these shows that focus on a particular topic, activity, interest, or just hobby that is not done for competitive or professional purposes. So on the other hand, you have something like Smile Down the Runway, which I, there is not necessarily a good term for that type of show that, for lack of a better phrase, I would call it a professional show where it is, mm -hmm. you know, you're seeing these characters try to make their way in some sort of industry or business. And yeah. it, it's not competitive in the sense of sports. There's not a active competition, but that they are, you know, competing within the marketplace. That doesn't make it a sport, but it's also far beyond a hobby at that point. That yeah. I, I can't it call Smile Down the Runway a hobby anime in the way that I would uh, call My Dress Up Darling a hobby anime. I think that's kind of the fascinating thing about the concept of hobby anime and, and the beauty of anime as a genre is it's a storytelling medium. So you literally could have anime about yeah, anything. It, it's no and, different. The, I say is that anime is not a genre. It is a point of geographic origin that it is mm -hmm. just, it happens to be a story that is told via animation, that there's no reason that you, that uh, American based animation couldn't do it. There's no reason that live yeah. action couldn't do it. And that's one of the big things that I think getting people into anime, and I've said this several times on this very show, is being able to get that through to people because so many yeah. people associate the term anime with what we consider to be the term shonen shows. Right. Because that's the stuff that, you, uh, at least up until marketable marketable shows ago, that was the stuff that made it stateside and the that we only saw this toys. little slice but nowadays in the past 15 10 years in particular now that more anime has gotten to the u.s both subbed and dubbed and whether it be on crunchyroll funimation netflix that you have access to all these different stories and people are now really seeing oh this is much much more than an art style it's much much more than a genre it is just like I said, a point of geographic origin. Yep. But uh, so, for hobby animes and hobby shows, that it's taking these very usually niche interests and really just zooming in on them and showing these people that have this passion, this love, this excitement for whatever that topic is. And, you know, in my dress up, darling, the character interactions aside, the sort of budding romance that we have, there is that that just sparkle that love of a cosplay and in general creation, I suppose of a, something that allows someone to become a character and at least thus yeah. far, that's been a really central theme of allowing uh, the character to become the person that she is cosplaying. And it, then you have, all of the more technical aspects, you know, the sewing, the there's, you know, everything from color commentary about the wigs when they go shopping, yep. that uh, it gets into the nitty gritty. And that's something that you don't normally get in shows that are more competition based, unless it's for the competitive aspects that it being able to really do a deep dive on whatever that particular topic is. And it's One funny example, because it's oh, a little more of a like recent trend to make them more grounded since like back in the 2000s, there was uh, a couple of uh, there was a series in an OVA, the series Comic Party, which dealt with uh, trying to make it at Comicette as a uh, Dojin, a Dojin circle. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had uh, Cosplay Complex, which was an OVA. And it was more on the wacky, silly. There was a lot of fantasy things kind of like inserted randomly into it, including like this weird owl mascot and this tiny little like uh pixie girl and like things that didn't make sense in real life but yet they were like you got the aspect of them crunching to make costumes as they were uh, a group within a school and then there was also like a contest element of it it's such a bizarre amalgamation which is the only reason why it works so well as an ova is it was doing too many things at once mm. <laughs> did you ever see the show anime gatari 
It sounds familiar. It was one from only like three-ish years ago, and it I only just now thought of and realized, oh, wait, this is actually a, a hobby anime about anime. And yeah. it is about an anime fan club at a high school. There is no competition involved, and it is a a love letter about anime to anime. Oh, kind of like uh, kind of like Genshin a little bit. Uh, I've never actually seen Genshin, admittedly. Oh. But as the name suggests, you know, anime gatari going off of the gatari franchise. That this series is built off of references to real world things, but obviously the way that Japanese copyright law works, you're not even allowed to name shows, products, franchises. You allude in, in to like, it. <laughs> yeah, you allude to it. That's why you know. There's so many different like McRonald's, uh, Wick, uh, Wickdonald's, and you know you, you see these variations on very recognizable. Oh, Sorny, come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> you you see all these references and just weird twists on recognizable logos and names. That's not them trying to be funny. That's them skirting copyright laws. I feel like actually at some point in time we need to just have an episode where we explore every weird brand variation for copyright. But uh, that's why they do that. So in this so, show, like a tier list. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so in the show, Anime Gatari, uh, it is about these people who love anime. And, uh, you know, one of the big plot hooks is there's this anime scene that one of the main characters grew up seeing and she loved and she dreams of to this day, but she can't for the life of her remember what show it's from. And she has spent years trying to find the source of this long lost memory for her. Uh, at the same time, they are creating uh, this anime club at their high school, and there's weird things going on. I, I don't want to spoil it. It's not anime of the year material, but if you ever want a trip, this show takes a left turn in the second half and does some really weird stuff. And it's it's memorable, to say the least. It's not inspired writing. But if you want a fun, silly time with a lot of references and just crazy stuff where anime lets itself be its most absurd form sometimes, yeah, you might want to check out Anime Gatari. I'll, I'll send you the link, Jason, after I, I'll the show. Definitely, uh, I'll definitely check have out. to check that out. But yeah, it, that's definitely a hobby one that you have. The character interactions, there's like, I wouldn't even... It's not a full, really romantic subplot even that uh, it's really just about these different characters and their different interactions with anime and their different memories for anime and the way that they learn about anime and sharing anime with each other. And that is very much the definition of a hobby show. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more more down to earth. (laughs) Down to earth. Yes and no. Like I said, I can't spoil stuff because the series does weird things. Okay. So, uh, surprise, a little twist somewhere. <laughs> it, there's there's some weird stuff that happens that the show is very grounded until it's not. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. There, there are a good number of animes that actually do that, too. So now, now I'm really intrigued. Yeah, uh, I suppose your turn. Are there any other hobby um, anime that really come to mind for you? I mean, I'm I'm having it's it's one of those things where it's such an odd thing to define, yet it exists, and it's it's kind of hard to kind of like quantify to to a degree, because um, like I'm racking my brain to think of like other things that are hobbies uh more seen in japan like say uh bug collecting and things like that and i'm like bug collecting is like no no that that hasn't been turned into an anime yet not yet well (laughs) i suppose one of the most i would say iconic and well-received hobby animes the past several years would be laid back camp which really uh have you seen laid back camp no i haven't actually it is as the name suggests a anime about camping Huh. It, the the whole thing is these characters 
going around to different like national parks and mountains and forests and just camping. It is a cozy little show and it, there's really good character interactions that there's a at the start, you know, the uh, the usual expert character, the one who's really already into camping, and then there's this other girl who is just starting to wade into it, but at the same time they are into camping for different reasons. That for one, it allows her to escape. The other one wants to explore and experience different things. One of them is very sociable. The other isn't. And it allows the characters to have their own comfort and enjoyment of their hobby in very different ways. That it very much respects the fact that one of these characters wants to have a quieter time and just sit back and admire nature and while there is this other you know hyper energetic genki character who is trying to get to know this other girl and trying to learn more she still has the respect of the boundaries of it's not her mission to coax this girl out of her shell and show her that she can be sociable that she wants to be her friend and she wants to be able to interact with this character and she will go out of her way to ingratiate herself and to be able to learn more about the character within reason but at the same time there is no goal of getting this camping loving girl to open up to others that uh, she is going into this other girl's space and learning about it but at the same time them being able to become friends in a respectful way and each still enjoy camping on their own terms and that's a really cool really special thing there on just the character interaction level but uh, the visuals for this show, absolutely gorgeous. If you like your background art and you like your nature and your big shots, this show is gorgeous to behold. And it's just so dang comfy that there is there's a running joke of Secret Society Blanket. And you join Secret Society Blanket if you're cuddle, just you know huddle up in a big blanket and sitting around in a cold environment in your blanket. And, you know, there, there's a really nice scene in the first episode of them just making instant curry and huh. just enjoying the warmth and taste of this very average food, which becomes something special when it's in a camping environment. Because, you know, when you're out in the wilderness, everything tastes a little bit better because it's it you're not eating instant ramen at your dining table in your apartment. Eating instant ramen on a cold day when you're camping, it it warms your body and it warms your soul. And there's something very different. And it explores that as well. And just everything about different camping equipment from tents to sleeping bags, the different, you know, mini uh, heaters that you might use to prepare your camping food, how to make a fire, how to put out a fire, that it really dives in. And there's actually two seasons of it that it kept oh. going and they introduced some more characters and I have not seen all of it, but the episodes I have seen, I, there are friends of this channel, actually uh, Corey, who used to be on the uh, radio dramas swears by the series. It's one of his favorites of all time. Definitely recommended that if you're looking for something that's just really comfy, laid back camp is absolutely something you should check out. Definitely going to have to look into that now. Yeah, it's real nice. And the character design's very pretty. Uh, I forget who does it. Let me see. Laid back camp. That uh, I guess I should say it sometimes goes by the name Yuru Camp. Uh, that's the Japanese name, and Laid Back Camp is uh, the localization name. But that one is brought Ooh. to us. The anime is by Studio C Station, which is not a household name to be sure. Um, they've only done a couple of things, but uh, you know, they keep doing at the quality of laid back camp that they could become something. Uh, looks like uh, looks like there's not many. Oh, actually, Crunchyroll has a section of videos also featuring. I guess it's uh, one of the voice actresses actually uh, camping as well in real life. Yeah, I think they did that as sort of a special side thing. But uh, uh, I do know that it is available on Crunchyroll. Um, Let me check my good old go-to. I haven't plugged in a while, but because .moe, the the URL is just 
B-E-C-A-U-S-E dot M-O-E. There is no dot com dot net. Because dot moe is a awesome resource if you're looking to find out where to legally watch streams of any given uh, show. It's this great database. You just put the name of the show in the top bar and it'll show you. And then along with links that it'll say, you know, Dragon Ball Super, you see the icons for Crunchyroll, Verve, and Funimation. If you click any of those links, it will take you directly to that site. So if you already have an account on one of those, that, you know, you'll be logged in and boom, you're right there on the page. You can start watching right there or you can subscribe or watch through ads as is necessary. And for laid back camp, that that one is held by Crunchyroll, also available on Verve as always. Uh, but that is not one that you'll find on Funimation or other places that is a Crunchyroll property. So oh. definitely suggest that one. I once once I get uh, once I get down to uh, binging things, <laughs> I'm not much of a binger, but I mean, like it's it's definitely it's definitely one of those things because like. Uh, for for me, like say I'm drawing, I'll throw on something that I can half pay attention to, which is usually a dub. Um, yeah. And then like if I really want to sit down and pay attention, like then I watch it subtitle. So I mean, like it's it's definitely like now this it just this concept with the camping, like this has me thinking if I ever go to Japan, that's just one more thing to add to my list of things to do. So, which means that I will never get around to doing everything I ever want to do in Japan, because like that list is probably like three lifetimes long now. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, you actually bring up a very good point of something that happens with hobby anime, and it happens with non-hobby anime as well. That anytime, even if there's a character that just shows a passing interest in a hobby, that you will see a real-world impact on it. So, in the case of laid-back camp, just the camping and tourism and local parks saw a tangible spike in interest and attendance from even locals who wanted to get into camping because of this show. You see this to a lesser extent. Well, I wouldn't say to a lesser extent, but um, you know, uh, for Haikyuu, the number of students that got into volleyball clubs, it, the show Laid Back Camp in no small part has, revo I'm sorry, not revolutionized, but re-energized the sport of volleyball in Japan in no small part that it, it was not a big thing in Japan. Just it, it's not one of the major sports there and it's yeah. still not, you know, baseball or anything, but the popularity of that show, while this is a sports show, not a hobby show has caused a huge spike in local interest, especially in high schools and colleges for volleyball teams. And uh, that happened with laid back camp as well. Um, Makes you wonder uh, what kinds of like older hobbies might actually reemerge uh, from stories being told about them. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, it's weird to think of how old this is, but Hikaru Nogo certainly saw a spike in Go interest, particularly in the U.S. because it did make it stateside. So uh, Go is obviously not a huge thing in the U.S. even to this day, but if you ask a lot of players of go who are our age that aren't of japanese descent odds are it's because of hikaru no go i uh, i'll admit i i took an interest in it and i tried playing it for a while i was awful but i mean i'm awful at a lot of things so yeah. <laughs> well you gotta be awful at something in order to get good at it yeah true true um another show that comes to mind for me uh of it was forget if it was last year or the year before, but Asteroid in Love, which is this very fun series about astronomy. And it's just these girls who are learning about stars and asteroids, and it is definitely done from an educational point of view, and one of them takes interest and decides at one point, all right, she might want to become an astronomer, but this isn't a story about her becoming an astronomer, that it is very clear from the beginning that these characters have their interest in space and astronomy in, in different areas as well and for different reasons, but that they go to JAXA, the uh, Japanese version of NASA, the you know Japanese yeah. Space Administration, and that uh, you know they get to learn, and one of them basically gets an internship or sort of a co-op type thing and is able to learn there and uh, everything from going out to the mountains and uh, it's not camping, but, you know, 
they go out of the city so they can get a good look at the night sky and learning about different telescopes, how they work, learning a little bit about the different stars and planets that are seen, that uh, it's definitely not done from a professional standpoint. There's certainly no competition involved here. There's slice of life aspects, but everything is done still with the focus of, okay, we want to learn about space. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting too. I mean, like uh, stargazing, because you think uh, in Japan, there are a lot of urban areas. You know? I mean, uh, of course, the big cities like Tokyo, Kyoto, but I mean, like to be able to find a peaceful place where you can, you know, take out a telescope and actually stargaze. I can see how this could bring a lot of people out to the countryside to uh, to experience that. So, or for that matter, even just find a uh, a local um, uh, 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 I don't want to say planetarium. Uh, so, but I mean, uh, observatory. Observatory. That's it. <laughs> Jeez, there's like two near me, and I don't even remember that word. Well, planetarium <laughs> as well, to a lesser extent, but yeah, observatory. Uh, and they go to an observatory at one point, and they're able to, you know, see things through one of these massive fancy telescopes. Uh, Asteroid in Love is one that is on Funimation. Uh, I forget if it's also on Crunchyroll. Back also on Crunchyroll, because I looked it up. Uh, yep, it is on Crunchyroll and Funimation. There you go. That, uh, that was one that I actually really enjoyed. Uh, like I said, it was a year or two ago, as I now double-check the uh, airing time on Wikipedia. This was in first quarter of 2020. Yeah, so it was two years ago now. Um, and it was one that I kept up with for the entire season, actually. It was a very fun one, a very soft, comfy one, a very different type of comfy from Laid Back Camp. That Laid Back Camp is a very literal comfy that, you know, just being warm and camping and going through all of the different things that it, it was very nice. Uh, this was, it was comfy in the sense that there was not a lot of tension, that there's a couple different moments of character tension, but... A lot of it really is just this exploration, this learning, this education of, you know, everything from asteroids to stars to planets and uh, being able to really get that there that um, this sort of brings us to, I suppose, a subgenre within hobbies of that uh, you get sort of the educational subgenre of hobby shows wherein it, these interests are much more academic in nature for one reason or another and that you analyze things and have the characters learning these things uh, in a more, not necessarily structured, but more informational manner where the show itself ends up being edutainment. That I, while there were aspects of Dress Up Darling where they, you know, went in some of the nitty-gritty about different types of stitches and wigs and color theory and whatnot, that I would not call that a, you know, th there's informational, educational-ish aspects there, but that is not the crux of the show by yeah, far. Yeah. Whereas Asteroid and Love is, it's the characters, and it's not like full-on edutainment where you can feel it sort of heavy-handedly, trying to feed you information, but the way they fit it in is so natural, but there is so much very legitimate information being conveyed in it because of how, you know, astronomy is so outside the realm of everyday knowledge. So it fits in much nicer, and uh, it doesn't feel like a learning show, quote-unquote, but you're going to learn from this show. That's awesome, actually, because, I mean, like, so anytime I can kind of pick up information from anywhere, uh, I mean, like I've, I've learned so much from random television over the years, that and wiki surfing. So I, I think I've learned more outside of school than I ever learned in school, which I should hope that's the case for everybody in life, because schools have a very small set curriculum. <laughs> uh, but um, the the fact that a show like this can be cozy and educational uh, as, as a form of entertainment and even get you interested in a new hobby. I'd have to say that that's part of the magic of like anime as a whole, because it just, it's, it also, it's Japanese culture in, in a nutshell there, because I mean, like 
we don't really see shows like this happen too often in America, aside from, say, um, uh, like Queen's Gambit on Netflix uh, brought a lot of people into chess. But if anything, I, I would call that a sports show. I would call that a competition True. show because True. it is very much grounded in all right. It is a character drama first and foremost, and I haven't seen the show, so I can't speak to it too much. But from everything I have come to understand about the show, that it is still a competition show in the sense that the main character, this girl, is in it to win it. That she is trying to prove that women can play chess and that whether or not she wins her games are a central part of the plot and the progression of the story. Uh, Whereas, you know, there is no winning in astronomy. That In astronomy, one of the biggest victories that they can have one of the things that they set out as a goal very early on, the closest thing to a win condition is discovering a star because mm, yeah. so many stars have been cataloged and discovered that the idea of them being able to discover either a star or an asteroid actually um, is one of their goals. And that if they can do that, that would be considered you know, a victory, but that's not them competing against some other group to discover a thing first they don't know if this asteroid or star is out there because it hasn't been discovered so it it isn't the competition there and it gives them something of a a tangible goal for them to work towards with their knowledge but at the same time there's so much more going on that that's certainly not a competition as we said it's not their profession either that these girls are still in high school true true and I think that's also the other thing is that I guess for, for, I mean, you don't see a lot of that kind of, aside from, I guess, educational television, everything usually has to have this sort of like drama to it or comedy. Like it's either drama, comedy or action it's, uh, here in the States. And Japan, uh, if I were to categorize Asteroid in Love, it would be, it would be a dramedy. That there's a lot of funny, silly stuff going on. Uh, there's a little bit of character drama here and there. Um, nothing that's really hard-hitting. At the end of the day, this is a PG-rated show for sure. Uh, and if I had to choose between drama or comedy, I would give it the nod to comedy more. But at the same time, this isn't a laugh-out-loud show either. That it's a very just, uh, you know, that sort of focused slice of life might be another term for hobby Mm. shows wherein it is showing characters in a no pun intended laid back situation where there aren't necessarily stakes and that they can have these character interactions and uh, these conversations and development in a non-competitive aspect but under the lens of a particular subject that definitely i think sums it up uh perfectly and uh i guess one thing that we were discussing a bit earlier is what type of hobby animes would we like to see in the future and the first thing that came to your mind was why isn't there a hobby anime about content creators yet that definitely like that that struck me as kind of odd aside from a nod to the i guess the the quote-unquote like hustle and burnout pertaining to being a content creator slash wannabe influencer. uh, Honestly, that feels like that that's the end of the first season's arc that in my opinion, my guess is that some studio somewhere has a content creation anime in production. And the first couple episodes is about someone getting into content creation, having their first stream, releasing their first video, learning about the different things and that, you know, we have the middle half of the season be about you know different types of setups or them experimenting with different types of content trying to find their brand in that case but that inevitably the 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 tension and climax of the season in terms of drama would be them working towards either this particular stream or project and going through burnout and then you know like Episode 11 is where they hit their burnout, and then you have episode 12 of them coming out of it, and then you can work towards season two and see their growth from there. Yeah, definitely that sort of arc to it, because, it, I mean, it it's such a popular thing nowadays, and I think that if something's being made about it, like the the one story that I know about content creation that hit 
anime not too long ago was an episode of Gegege no Kitaro dealing with an influencer. And of course, the whole purpose of that show is, you know, to teach a moral about something. And, you know, I'm not actually familiar with this show in general. Can you give me sort of a synopsis of the plot at large? So it's a very long running series about this uh, main character, Kitaro, and his dealings with yokai. Um, and it's very famous. It's been around for years. It's had multiple anime adaptations, including a current run on Crunchyroll, I believe, right now. Uh, I don't know if it ended or not. Um, but it's very educational because you do learn a lot about yokai. And they find ways of kind of updating these stories about yokai to fit modern times. And I forgot what particular spirit it was that latched onto the guy. But there was this story about a guy who was uh, a social media influencer, content creator type person, and kind of goes off the deep end as a result of the yokai's intervention with it. And kind of takes a deep dive into like the darker side of it. It's very much a story that was either written by somebody who had experienced it or somebody who has a negative opinion of this up and coming field, I guess you could say, of media, Um, which is why like the concept of a content creation or or streamer um, anime would be very interesting because to see it portrayed in more of a positive light, that community aspect, you know, having fun, playing games, coming up with your own shows, podcast type things. Um, I mean, I do know, I think there are a few doujin out there currently being written about uh, VTubers. I think they're more in the comedy genre. I think one of them is like, my dad is a VTuber or something. Might have been a one shot. But uh, I mean, like I'd I'd say that that kind of falls in line with that content creation concept as well. uh, Although, of course, like VTubers, the whole taboo, like you don't know about who it is behind the scenes and stuff like that. That's a completely different story that feels like it would be more of the drama end of a show like that. Like, oh, my God, somebody's uh, I can see it done as a comedy where, you know. Just the comedy of them every day trying to not let their identity be discovered and all of the crazy interactions that that causes of, you know, uh, their friends talking about something that is related to it and them having to feign ignorance because they can't let on that they're on to something or, or trying to buy something. And then, you know, the sales clerk asking, oh, what are you buying this for? Uh... <laughs> uh... That's that's always uh, that's always a funny uh, instance, like going into a store and buying something and you're buying like things that you need. And then like the one odd thing that, you know, is for a project or something like that has nothing to do with like your groceries and stuff like that. You just happen to be one stop shopping and did that at the time. And then just seeing the reaction on the clerk's face definitely, definitely seems interesting because uh, I I. I can think of one VTuber that probably gets that look shopping for groceries or something like that. Hachima. Hachima. (laughs) The thing is, she does most of her ordering online because you can't buy tarantulas at your local grocery store. True, true. Uh, If you could, though, my God, the looks that she would get. And since the delivery person doesn't know what's in the boxes, they can't give her the suspicious look either. But yes, if somebody were to actively read out her purchase history they might be concerned so i mean so it definitely there is a future for if somebody hasn't made it yet i mean at least let there be some web comics uh to to kind of take hold and maybe spark the idea in an animation company's uh mind to come up with their own take on it i feel like animation studios might be a little afraid only because the internet is seen as such a uh, competitor and, and like uh, threat to traditional media that like the animation studios might be afraid. To oh, they, of... they might not want to promote it because they don't want people getting into streaming and watching streaming instead of watching their broadcast anime. I never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, which is why it makes me think that, like, by the same token, that couldn't they say, you know, we don't want to make sports anime because we don't want people at their 
their volleyball practices instead of watching anime in the afternoons. I think uh, I think what really comes into play with it is uh, because it is an industry, you know, uh, if, if if you've ever seen uh, if you've ever seen the shows direct from Japan, um, like I used to get a channel years ago that had unsubbed anime complete with commercials, um, you know, and you get that. Uh, but the beautiful thing about runtimes in anime, the reason why they seem a little bit longer than your standard American television show of 22 minutes is because the ads legitimately pay for the show and they don't have to cram as many ads in there because the ads are paying that much more for that space. It's really a premium as opposed to being sold kind of in bulk uh, here in America. So anybody who's watched it knows that <laughs> everybody knows that little uh, that saying. That, that little line. And I think that sponsors would be the ones who are afraid of a show like that because they're not as involved in, say, the advertising on what are you talking YouTube about? and Dreamers Twitch. have sponsors as I glance over to our sponsor, Image Animate, ImageAnimate.com, <laughs> and you can use the code DiscountShip to get a free shipping on orders of $100 or more. Get that plug. Mario would be proud. Per perfect, uh, perfect segue for that. <laughs> streamers streamers do have sponsors it's the, the fact that corporate sponsors for producing an anime would be a little afraid of that outside of maybe promotion for a company like say elgato being the sponsor to make a show like that so it that's i think where it kind of comes into uh play is the fact that without big corporate sponsorship behind a anime to be produced chances are it would be either an original web animation or an OVA, which of course nowadays basically would be original web animation, I guess. So, um, yeah, all about that dollar. You know, and <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, uh, we are actually coming up on near the hour and, uh, actually hot off the presses. Uh, unfortunately folks, we have learned that actually the rogue jam had, voting has ended and that uh, Kokoro no Pro did not make the cut but as I mentioned this oh. was very much a half court shot for us there was a good 50 up there this wasn't like you know we are one of five finalists and something that there was a lot of games in there and frankly there were a lot of games that had more complete reels that Kokoro no Pro is in its early pre-production phases we have uh, a couple early screens and uh, flows but there were some in there that had trailers that were you know darn near completion or at the very least they had a lot of playable looking stuff with fancier graphics that frankly are going to be a lot flashier than visual novels visual novels have always been a tough spell especially in the west especially in the west oh, so yeah. it was an uphill battle it was a half court shot but thank you all anyways for your support and hopefully you know even if we didn't get it kokorono pro hopefully still got into the eyeballs of a bunch of other people who were on that site to visit and check out what the heck was going on with these other things. So even if we didn't get the uh, prize money here, that uh, being able to participate is still an absolute win for the game and for Digital Air Entertainment. So thank you all for your support there. I uh, cannot tell you to go vote because voting is over, but uh, that is what it is. Kokoro no Pro is still happening. The success or failure of the game was absolutely not riding on this game jam this was it was a freebie frankly of you know if <laughs> we could get this holy cow that'd be awesome and then it would make things really big that could Extra push things publicity. to the next level but well yeah and also just you know funding money but at the same time coconut pro is still moving forward the game jam has absolutely nothing to do with that so uh, thank you anyways, and do definitely be on the lookout for it. You can see the trailer for Coconut Pro on our YouTube channel. Meanwhile, be sure to like, comment, subscribe on the stuff there, but you can follow us here on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be able to check us out in all those different places. Jason, we are actually just about at the hour anyway, so thank you so much for joining in and for presenting oh, this no really problem. fun topic that we were able to you know, go into this handful of other shows here, but also have that little fun interlude in the beginning where we were talking about uh, tokusatsu and the local superheroes. Support your local superheroes, as in, you know, help us make local superheroes a thing. I want this to be a thing now, dang it. Yeah, state superheroes, start big, or, or start go. small. You know, like, if your town is known for something, you know, like, it's got a freaking tourist trap or something, make a local hero about the tourist trap. Heck, make your local hero a tourist trap. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just go out there. Be, go forth and be creative, people, you know? Absolutely. So, once again, this has been Dekai Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. I'm Joel. He's Jason. This is episode number 93, Hobby Anime. So go out there, check out some of these shows, Laidback Camp. Uh, we There were plenty more that we didn't even get to. That uh, There was Super Cub, which is a motorcycle hobby anime. Uh, Let's Make a Mug, which is one about pottery. There's a lot of stuff out there, so check out these different shows. Search around. You might find something new. You might find something that you decide to get into outside of just watching it. Who knows? But until then, stay safe, stay sane, get your Fauci out, you wear a mask, and we will see you next time on Digital Era Twitch. See you later.